Acts chapter 15. Acts 15. You know, sometimes when I read through the book of Acts, my human side says, how did they do this? I mean, how did they navigate all the different subjects and topics and obstacles and barriers? How did they do this? I mean, Lifeway didn't even have a bookstore back then where you could, well, never mind, they don't have a bookstore anymore anyway, if you, but you, you, you couldn't go online, let's say that, you couldn't go online and order the latest church growth book to tell you how to do things. They didn't, they didn't have the great seminaries for them to attend, for these apostles to go and make sure that their giftedness was honed in a certain way so that they could serve. They didn't have all of the buildings and the resources. They didn't have all of this stuff. And and here they are trying to work through daily difficulties. And my human side says, how did they do that? But then as I study the scripture, I see this. The Holy Spirit empowered them to make a difference. The Holy Spirit gave them guidance each day. The Holy Spirit was active and alive within the church's broader existence. The Holy Spirit, as the people had seen the resurrected Lord and as they had proclaimed the resurrected Lord, the Holy Spirit took a hold of lives and changed them. It's the same Holy Spirit who is with us today. Now, don't get me wrong. I think it's good for us to read some books every now and then to know what's going on, to see what God is doing. There's nothing wrong with that. I think it's great to have equipping seminars for us to go to and for us to learn how we can better minister to people. I think those are wonderful things. Hey, I am still a proponent of seminary, at least if you go to New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. I'm a proponent of seminary. I think that's a good thing. But what you and I need to remember is that people... And the church, as we work together, there are going to be issues. There are going to be difficulties. I mean, every, you know, this, every church I've been in, I've had some issues or difficulties. Did you know that? Have you ever found a church, by the way, that didn't have issues or difficulties? No? No? I mean, if you do, you probably ought not to join it because you'll cause a problem or a difficulty. <laughs> Every church, I love this church. I told our deacons this morning, I believe this is the best church ever. And I know that will offend people in Ruston and beyond, but let me tell you, every pastor ought to believe they're pastoring the best church. If they don't, then they need to go ahead and resign from their position and go find a church where they would be proud of it. But I'm just saying to you, I believe we're a great church, but I know that we have issues and troubles because we all do, because we're made up of people. The church is not a building the church would be the people. And the people, we, I got issues. And if I got issues, I bring those issues with me sometimes into the church life. Preacher told me one time, he said, Reggie, he said, ministry would be easy if it weren't for people. <laughs> of course, there would be no ministry, right? Because there would be no people. But difficulties abound. The early church, they had difficulties. 
They had questions over who was getting waited on and how distributions were going about. We've already seen that in Acts chapter 6. They had some difficulties that they had to navigate. There were some troubles that they had. But maybe one of the biggest obstacles inwardly that this church had faced, or the early New Testament church faced, is here in Acts 15. And this is a big issue. Now, most of the time when we talk about issues in the church, we're talking about the color of the carpet or the volume of the music or something to that nature. And those things must be dealt with, I know, because they can be an irritating, agitating type of issue if it's not dealt with. But here, this is a theological issue. This is a doctrinal issue. This goes to the very heart of the good news of Jesus Christ. This goes to the gospel itself. So I want to share it with you this morning. Acts 15, commonly called the Jerusalem Council or Jerusalem Congress, as the church comes together in different ways to try and address the issues and the questions that have been presented. Chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. It says, and certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren. So get this in your mind, that there are those down in Jerusalem who belong to that mother church who have now come up to Antioch. And as they've come up to Antioch, I know it says that they came down, but that's because they came from Jerusalem. Because if you're in Jerusalem, you're always going down, all right? No matter which way you leave, you will go down because of the elevation of Jerusalem. They actually go north to Antioch, which is a predominantly Gentile church, and these people come in to try to help them understand their Christian existence. They're trying to help them get to where they need to be. But the problem is, these false teachers are actually leading people away from the true gospel. So listen to this. Certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren... Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles. And they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders. And they reported all things that God had done with them. And some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And here you have the genesis of the problem. The beginning of the issue there at the church at Antioch. The church at Antioch had seen great grace. They had seen God expand. They had seen God just bring his, his refreshing breath, his renewing presence to them. They had seen people saved. It was there in Antioch that they were first called Christians because they were testifying of the love and the work of the Lord Jesus. But as this passage says, there were these who came. They have commonly been called the Judaizers. The Judaizers, they were part of that first church in Jerusalem. But they had obviously come out of Jewish heritage. And most all of those early believers had come out of Jewish heritage. 
And they, came, they come up to Antioch, and they see all this going on and in the church and all that's happening. And these teachers say, hey, it, it's great. It's wonderful. We see what you're doing. But you know, you're missing one thing. You got to be circumcised in order to be truly saved. You got to go through this initial rite in order for you to come into the covenant family. You must be circumcised. And then, as you see in verse 5, those that had previously belonged to this Pharisee sect who had now joined the believers, they stood up and said, yes, they have to be circumcised and they have to keep the Mosaic law in order to maintain that covenant community with God. You see how this could be a problem? Okay, let, let's say this. Let's say that a couple Sundays from now, I'm going to be out. Actually, I am. About two Sundays. I'm going to be up where it is very cool and nice. Probably a little too cool for my children, but it's cool for me up around Jackson Hole. Nice place, right? I got to get out of here just for a little while. Let's say I'll let Jacob Ambrose preach. As a matter of fact, he is. <laughs> Let's say he stands up here and he says to you, Okay, folks, I know what you've been hearing from Reggie all these different weeks, and I know what you heard from uh, Rick before that, and maybe some of you who were here for years, you heard Dr. McGee, and you've heard different ones. I got something else to tell you, though. What you need to know today is that you need to submit yourself to Jew Jewish ritual and regulation for you truly to be saved. Now, I hope I don't have phone service in Jackson Hole. <laughs> but if I do, do you know how many texts I'm going to get that day? Do you know how many? I mean, when I get back here, when I get back here, after multiple conversations with our deacon chairman, David Darlin', he's going to meet me, and he's going to say, we got to have a meeting, and we got to talk about this young guy that just came over. I said, well, I mean, you know he's... I, I'd say, Jacob's a good guy, David, Okay. He is from Shreveport. That means he's still got a lot of issues, all right? People from Shreveport generally do. But yes, this message is wrong. We need to, we need to talk to him. We need to work it out. And we'll, uh, we'll uh, blame uh, the committee for getting him here and deal with that. You'd be, you'd be like, what? What? You want me? To go back and submit myself to Jewish... So, so you would be stunned. Let me say this to you. Paul and Barnabas were just as stunned, if not more stunned, than what these people were teaching. You can see this. It says that they have no small dissension. I love the way the Scripture under-exaggerates it here. No small dissension. That means they had a great ruckus in the church over this. They had to talk. They, Paul and Barnabas like, hold on. just you, you said, what? We've been up here teaching. We've been giving them the good news of Jesus. And now you come in and tell them that they have to be circumcised. Because get this. That means that what they are really saying is that you have to join the Jewish covenant, the Jewish community in order to be saved. That's what they're saying. 
When they say you have to be circumcised, when they say that you have to uh, follow the Mosaic laws or rituals, then that means that they're saying you must become a Jew in order to be a Christian. And for the Gentiles, you know, I can't imagine. Gentiles coming in the new believers class. Your connections class, Jason. First thing you go in and say, hey, just so you know, before you can become a member here, you, as a Gentile, you need to make sure that you have been circumcised first, and then you got to keep the law. I bet there are going to be a lot of people walking back out of the door. In Antioch, I can't imagine. But they're saying you must be circumcised. An initial religious rite that is necessary for salvation. Keeping the law, a continuing obedient, obedience to the religious rules and laws. And, and what I want to show you, even as we move through this, is not just the moral law. The moral law has always been God's law, okay? But he says, you don't have to add anything else to salvation, even the ritual laws of Judaism. You don't have to add that. Think of how we do it today. Some modern eras as Dr. Meeks would call it up at Blue Mountain College. He'd say, think about the initial religious rite, circumcision. Maybe you could liken that to those who teach you must be baptized in order to be saved. And some people, even in some denominations, they will look at baptism as the covenant mark just as circumcision. And so the idea that you must be baptized in order to be saved. Now, I think baptism is important. I think it's very important. And I would say to you that if you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've given yourself to Him, you ought to follow Him in baptism. You ought to. Baptism is so important to publicly declaring your faith in the Lord Jesus. So I don't want to underscore baptism in any way. But I want you to hear this. You are not saved just simply because you've been baptized. And you're not going to be saved just because you enter into these waters and you're baptized. Baptism is not a part of salvation. It's not some type of religious rite that guarantees us entrance into the kingdom. I love the way a pastor I served with long ago would put it. He would say, you could be baptized so many times that... The tadpoles know your social security number. <laughs> that still doesn't mean you're saved. Sometimes when I have people, you'll ask them, you'll say, Hey, tell me about your testimony. And it always kind of bothers me just a bit when they begin to say, Well, I was baptized when I was 10 years old. Well, I'm proud you were baptized. I was baptized again when I was about 12. But tell me about your faith experience before that baptism. Because the Holy Spirit came in and did a work in my life and saved me before I ever entered into the waters of baptism. What happened in baptism was an outward expression of what had already occurred inwardly in my life. How about those who would subscribe today 
to this idea that there has to be a continual obedience. Let's say here the Mosaic law was a continual obedience to keep your salvation. And there are those today that say you have to continue to follow certain traditions or you have to follow certain uh, practices in your life so that you can maintain your salvation. Maybe you have to keep the moral laws in order to maintain your salvation. I would say to you, first of all, which moral law are you talking about? Because since I've been saved, I have broken some moral laws. I went to Texas Day Brazil the other day. I broke a moral law, I think. There are ways in which we still mess up. So tell me which sin is it that will condemn you in your eternity? How about the traditions? How about the don'ts and do's? I said this other night in the um, Sunday night service. I tested it there and it went over okay. I didn't have a, it come up in deacon's meeting this morning, so I'm going to go ahead and say it out loud to everybody now, okay? I knew they didn't have the power to vote me out. That's the reason I said it on Sunday night. But you and I as Southern Baptist, I've been Southern Baptist all my life. I'm Southern Baptist by birth, but thanks be to God, now I'm Southern Baptist by conviction. But we as Southern Baptists have always been known a little more too much about what we stand against, not what we stand for. I can tell you when I was growing up the things that were on the don't list. Hmm? Or thou shalt not, it was still thou shalt not up in North Mississippi. I can tell you that. But you and I, it's not just about the don'ts or the do's. It's about our relationship with the Lord Jesus. It is about us communing with him and following his life in us. Oh, so you must become a Jew first. And again, verse 2, Paul and Barnabas, they were so rankled. The, the anger. So what did they do? They said, we got to go down and talk to the church at Jerusalem. See if these were official carriers of the message. See what they need to talk. We need to go down to the church. So it says they go down, and they go down. It's some 300 miles or so that they'll, they will go down. And along the way, they'll stop in the Gentile churches. And I like this. They'll go around, and they'll talk about it. And, man, there's, there's great celebration of what God has done. And when they get to Jerusalem, they hear the naysayers. But I love the way they deal with the opposition. It says in verse 6, Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of God or hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they." 
So the chief apostle, some of you might not like the terminology I use, but I would say at this point, the chief spokesman for the apostles, Peter, he stands up and he says, guys, let's talk about this a minute. Do you remember what happened? For us, it would be located there in Acts chapter 10. Do you remember what happened? When God called me to the Gentiles, when I went to Cornelius, do you remember how they heard the word? How they accepted the word? How they responded in belief and faith and trust? How the Holy Spirit fell upon them? Do you remember? I love this image. How their hearts were purified by faith. Remember the unclean? They had been cleansed. Do you remember? He said, do you remember that we believe, that's all of us in this place, we believe that it is through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that we shall be saved. Grace is what? Unmerited favor. You do nothing to deserve it. You don't work your way there. You don't keep enough laws. You don't get baptized. You don't do all those things. It's just the grace of the Lord Jesus. He says, don't you remember that? We brought them in through the grace. Listen, it's the old equation you've seen from time to time. Jesus plus nothing equals what? Everything. You don't have to add anything to Jesus to get salvation. Did you hear me? You don't have to add anything to Jesus to get salvation, and you don't have to add anything to Jesus to keep your salvation. You don't have to be good enough. You don't, get, get, get this. You were not saved because you were good enough to start with. How do you think you're going to keep your salvation by still being good? If it didn't work in the beginning, it sure ain't going to work as you move forward. Sorry about you uh, grammar guys and ladies. It is by grace that you're saved through faith. There are too many of us that can try to add something else or to bring some type of other cure to a life that only can be healed by Jesus. I don't know about you, but around uh, the wintertime, I will often come down with some type of like sinus issue or bronchitis. Some of you have heard me even as I try to speak on Sundays, I, I do it almost every year. Something's going to happen like that, okay? And, I mean, I thought I had really uh, assimilated into the Louisiana weather. And I usually do. Of course, it just, the weather changes, like during the day sometimes. And maybe that's what it is. But I'll have an issue, and I'll go see uh, one of the many fine doctors here in, in Ruston, and they will usually say, I think it will help you. We'll give you this, and then we'll give you a steroid shot. Any of you ever had that steroid shot? I see about three people in here that have personally injected me with that shot before. <laughs> it's embarrassing for you, isn't it? It's embarrassing for me to look out and see you, too, just to be honest with you. shot will do a miracle on me. 
I'm talking about it'll totally change me. I told people that I understand now some, it, it's not a good attraction, obviously, to steroids or so. It's not a good thing in the long run. But I could see the initial attraction because when I take it, like, man, I can do more work in the next 24 hours than I've done in like two months. I do not sleep. I feel awesome. I feel great. The drainage is going away. It is great. It's wonderful for that. But if I were diagnosed, let, let's say that I walk in and they say, Reggie, you have eaten so much at Texas Day Brazil. And you've done this and you've done that. And what you've done is you've clogged your heart, heart arteries up. But you know what I think? I think we can take care of it with one of those shots. I would, of course, look at them and be like, what? Now, I probably would feel good a day or two taking the shot. But there's always the coming down from the shot, too. I didn't mention that earlier. But how would it help my heart? Now, some of you who are in the medical field, you may say, well, I may... I don't see how to help it long term. And you know what? Too many people are going around and they're telling people, all you got to do is live a certain way and you got to do this and you got to do that and whatever else. And they may even feel better for, about themselves for a few days, but that is not, that is not the biblical solution to their issue. People are trying to live according to the traditions. And they have missed out upon the life of Christ. Because only Jesus can bring true healing and salvation. It's not a dose of good living. It's not a dose of spirituality. It is not a dose of ritual. It is only through the cure of the Lord Jesus Christ, His blood for you, His resurrection power. That's the only thing that will change your life and change mine. Salvation comes through grace and through grace alone. Well, I'm not going to, to move much farther in the Scripture. I'm just going to look at this one thing before we leave. And that is James, who is the chief pastor at the time. So you have the chief missionary, well, at least become the chief missionary, Paul, the chief apostle, Peter, and the chief pastor, James. James gets up and he says, uh, he says to them as he's working through, Simon has declared how God at the first visited the Gentiles to take them out or take them as a people for his name. And then he quotes Amos. He goes on down and he says, Therefore I judge that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God. They basically say, it's by grace alone. Now they will give them some things they want them to live by. And some of you may say, that seems so contradictory. Because I don't have a whole lot of time to deal with it, I'll just say this, it's grace and association. They just say, we want the Gentiles and the Jews to continue to be able to come together. And the Jews, they have these rituals about them and cleanse, uh, these issues of cleansing, ritual and all. So when you're with them and associating with them, would you just abstain from these things just so that we can keep the body of Christ together? 
I love the way he does it. it it's not a requirement. It's, not, it's just grace in your associations. We could talk so much more about that, but I don't have time this morning. James affirms that it is by grace. And he says that we should not put things before the Gentiles that basically will keep them coming from Christ. And let me just say to us, you and I, we can have all kinds of traditions. We can have all kinds of other things. But listen, listen, listen. We should lay nothing before unbelievers that will keep them from needless, needlessly keep them from coming to Christ. I got a lot of tradition about me. I really do. I kind of like tradition. I like consistency. Uh, I like tradition in a whole lot of different areas. I like it in, in my personal life. Hey, I'm okay with traditional worship. I like hymns. This morning I was listening to Southern Gospel when I came to church. It took me back to North Mississippi for a little while. But then after the song finished and they started doing an advertisement for Willow Ridge, I thought maybe I need to turn off of this channel now for a little while. Obviously, I'm in a different age group now. But I love it. I love tradition. I love it in so many ways. But we should not insist upon our traditions if they would keep the unbelievers from coming to know the Lord. You know what? I have strong political views. I'm going to touch a nerve here, but that's all right, because I'm going to get out of here and I'm going to run. <laughs> I got strong political views. This is no chastisement to any of you on social media or anything else, but you'll not see much of my political views on social media. I've got some strong ones. Now, listen, if, if there's an issue that is biblical, that is something that we need to address, I hope and pray that you've seen me address it from this pulpit or from wherever I am. I will not back up from that. But as far as simply identifying with one political party, I've got friends in this place that hold different types of positions in this town and beyond. And guess what? I'm not going to be out there necessarily campaigning or doing anything for different ones, even some of my friends. Why? Because it is a needless, it is a needless obstacle to people in sharing the gospel with them. Because the gospel is more important every day than my simple political beliefs. I say, I say to you that we need to listen to the wise counsel of the Jerusalem Congress in Acts 15. He says, it's by grace alone. Don't throw those other laws and regulations and ritual down below the people's feet and try to expect them to keep it. What did they say? This yoke we couldn't even bear. So don't get it. Don't put it on the Gentiles. It's by grace and grace alone. But also for us, as we have grace in our associations, that we will not put anything in front of those who would cause them to stumble as they walk toward Christ. Because remember, folks, you and I, we were not called to get ourselves clean before we came to Jesus. As a matter of fact, we couldn't. We shouldn't expect others to clean themselves up before they get to Jesus. You get them to Jesus, and he's got the power to do what is necessary to make a difference in their lives.
Let's help them walk to Jesus. Let's help them run to Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, Lord, you hear my heart so often on this, and I say it again. Thank you for doing something we couldn't have done for ourselves. There's not a man, a woman, a boy in this place that could have attained salvation without you. We couldn't have been good enough. We couldn't have been baptized enough. We couldn't have gone through the ritualistic cleansings and all of that enough. That's the reason you sent your son Jesus for us. And you gave us your best. Because where we failed, he succeeded. And then he laid his life down for us. And he rose again in power to forgive us. Thank you for that. And God, I pray that you would convict our hearts. If we put down any type of barrier or obstacle for peeping, people coming to know Jesus, an, an unnecessary obstacle, Lord, I pray that you would help us to show grace in our associations and our relationships with others. God, I pray you'd work now through this time of commitment. In Jesus' name.